from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. The 47th New Directors New Films Festival continues through April 8th here at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and at the Museum of Modern Art. The opening night film this year was Matangi, Maya, M.I.A., first-time filmmaker Stephen Loveridge's intimate portrait of rapper M.I.A. Before she became a global sensation, known for her musical daring and tireless political activism, M.I.A. was an aspiring filmmaker, having made countless video diaries chronicling her youth and private life. Loveridge, who attended art school in London with M.I.A., uses this first-hand material to craft a deeply personal statement from a pop star yearning to express herself. Following the screening, Stephen Loveridge and M.I.A. joined programmer Florence Almazzini for a Q&A. Let's go to that now. Thank you so much for being here uh, and staying here. Well, I didn't really think anyone would leave for that special Q&A. I see the guests, so they're not coming from this door this time, <laughs> which we never did. So please bring a warm, warm applause for MIA and Stephen Lawrence. <laughs> We, we splurge tonight. You both have a chair and a microphone. Yes. <laughs> Usually Thanks. they share a microphone and then there's a lot of argument for the microphone. But we decided tonight we, you can That's true. Like we each have one. <laughs> sometimes. And you also have your own water, you know, which nice. we recycle the water after we leave and then we can just like, you know. Uh, I think I'm going to ask if maybe a few questions to both of you and then we can open it up to the audience. Um, I assume a lot of people maybe have heard about the film before, but like maybe I would start with a question for you, Stephen, in terms of like all the footage that you had ac access to, and in terms of the editing and finding the right footage for the film. Like, can you talk a little bit about the process in getting the film that we got to see tonight? Um, yeah, it was a difficult process. It first started off as a project that was funded by Maya's record label and involved her management and so uh, it was a very music industry thing and I went out and interviewed like Kanye and Danny Boyle and people that had worked, you know, famous people that had worked with MIA at some point and it was turning into a sort of VH1 behind the music kind of thing and felt really like it would work but it was for a very different sort of space and a very different purpose and um, <clears throat> I basically had a big argument with Maya's management at the time and leaked the trailer because the project had just stalled and the funding wasn't there. And CineReach, the New York not-for-profit that have been the production company and the funders, um, saw, there was a guy there called Mike Raisler who saw the trailer online and contacted me and said, are you, are you struggling? Do you want help? And we can help you move this over to documentary world. Mm -hmm. And so that was how it changed tone from being that very commercial thing to something like this, which was very much the right home for it. Mm -hmm. um, but wading through the 900 hours of, of home footage and, and Verite video, and then the other 500 hours of like archival and every journalist we contacted, that was just, there's no other way to do it than just sit there and watch all of that stuff. So that's why this film took so long. Seven years. 
Longer than Star Wars. <laughs> All episodes combined. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you, obviously, all the, I mean, nearly everything from the footage came from you and the work you've been recording early on. So, would you do something different at this point if you, when you see the film? Like, and you also studied film, so would you edit it in a different way? Um, initially, when I handed the footage, yeah, I wanted it to be more of a sort of a film for my fans that was more music-driven. Um, you know, and I, I just always lived quite a compartmentalised life. And I guess even for my fans, I didn't think any of that sort of story was interesting though I, I have talked about it in interviews to to say yeah this is where I come from and this is what happened but anyway that's not you know let's just have a party that was kind of the ethos and um that's kind of one of what I wanted to give them something a little bit more uh creatively sort of musical driven uh Then Steve moved to New York when I couldn't come to New York. So then I, I realized that something was going to change about the film, you know, but I felt very uh, like I didn't quite know what that was going to be. Um, so obviously, because I didn't have a visa, I started getting very paranoid and, you know, and I thought this is going to be a sting job, you know. And Steve's going to be really passive-aggressive and all the things he's felt about me for 20 years, he's just going to stab me in the back and all this stuff. So I had no, you know, no idea what it was going to be. So when I, when I watched it at Sundance, I was um, moved that it was, you know, it kind of, it was very honest and it didn't really have a lot of, stabbing in the back type stuff <laughs> but it did have a lot of um, branding for my liking you know what I mean there was like I don't know I, I didn't see it tonight but there was a shot in it where I was dancing in like a gap top and then then it was DKNY and then it was Coca-Cola and then it was and I was like you know are you getting funding from these people you know <laughs> like yeah so when I saw it that was the only thing I, I noticed really that was a bit like Maybe Steve was cutting secret deals, you know. <laughs> yeah. He has a big car waiting for him outside and it says Coca-Cola on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll find out soon. <laughs> um, were you tempted at any time to ask for, um, uh, for Maya's input in terms of putting the footage or you just wanted no. to do it? By yourself, yeah. <laughs> I Definitely don't know not. why. <laughs> I think Maya being in the edit suite, it would have turned into a completely different thing. And I think um, sometimes I get this real imposter syndrome about the film. Like, did I even do anything? Like, the footage is shot by Maya and it's edited by the editors and the producer helped do this and all that kind of thing. And, but actually, now that it's been out in the world and I stand back from it and hear Maya's comments about it, I'm like... Tonally, it's such a different thing to what Maya would have made herself, I feel, and then the most directors would have gone for with the footage available that I can sort of hear my voice in it really clear or, or see what I did with that footage was unique to my sort of vision. Um, so, yeah, I, there was never a temptation to sort of get Maya in the edit suite going, what should I do? But definitely, I 
with hindsight, I should have showed it to her before Sundance, because that was really <laughs> awkward. Doing that thing, the film finished at the very first screening of it, and then they went, and welcome to the stage, am I? And I had to go, like, what did you think of the film, like, live on stage in front of an audience? And Maya obviously went, I don't like it. It was really bad, and there's no cool shots in it, and what the fuck was that, basically? Because and before he moved to New York City in 2013, or somewhere, no, around 14, he, he, he made it sort of soft for, for that transition by inviting me. He rented like a small space near my house and he's like, you know, I got here two weeks. I'm going to edit the whole movie in two weeks and you're welcome to come in and see this thing. But it was just co completely set up. And um, he was like, you know, I've got an editor for you to sit down and look through some of the stuff and you can edit three minutes of it. Right. And I'm used to making music videos that are three minutes long, so I got really excited. And I was like, oh my God, Steve's so amazing. Like, he's let me do this. So I went in and I worked so hard. And I stayed up <laughs> all day, all night, and cut this thing, which was three minutes long. <laughs> it was supposed to be part of the documentary, and none of it was in there. <laughs> It was like, you know, this whole section of the Cala album that was really important or really fun. And he didn't use any of it. So, yeah, when I saw it at Sundance, I was really upset. <laughs> so I was like... But they didn't give you a microphone in Sundance, so you could barely express your opinion. You were just fighting for the microphone. Yeah, so, I think that... Yeah work quite well because actually it would have been worse if it had one. <laughs> this is mine. But maybe we could make another film from all the footage, but the hundreds of hours of footage and it would be a completely different movie. Definitely. The stuff that didn't make it in, some of it is so good and so compelling in a different way. But I had to make some really hard decisions about what was going to make it and sort of talking about the film away from the footage and people like Cine Rich were really good at asking me, what was your original vision? What film did you set out to make? Who did you have in your mind as an audience? What reaction did you want to achieve? What's the tone of the film? Now go back in the edit suite and see whether that really great stuff really serves that purpose. Because there's lots of juicy, amazing shots, lots of kind of compelling stuff, gossipy stuff, celebrity, all sorts of different ways you could have made it through this footage and had something that came out and made a splash in the media, but wasn't actually my original kind of intention. Um, so it was sometimes really difficult to not kind of go for the low-hanging fruit and go, oh my God, we've got all this Maya breaking up with Diplo live on camera and finding me out doing all this. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but none of that made it in. I, I, I do think that there could be at least two minutes of the backstory to the war, like when it started or why it started, you know, that, that kind of, um, yeah, I suppose just explain why my dad did what he did, you know, because it sort of throws everybody in there without the backstory. And, and we really initially first started talking about it in that sense like trying to explain it because in 2011 when I handed the footage over the reason why all of the things that I did didn't communicate well or translate is because nobody knew what was going on 
<clears throat> but no one also knew why it was going on. And that was the hardest bit to communicate, like when I was on Bill Maher. So I'm going to go back there. <laughs> then I'm going to show him it. I am. Um, but yeah, that, I think that would have sort of made it, made it mm -hmm. a bit easier. I think that's something that I wrestled with for a long time in the edit, was how much informational stuff and how much backstory to the politics that Maya was talking about should be in the film. And we tried a lot of different um, ways to do that because it didn't exist organically within the verite footage of Maya filming herself or the home movies. But we thought maybe within when she looks at VHS tapes of the, the Tiger Girls, maybe we could have more archival news um, that lays out the backstory, but it always felt like we were kind of faking it and shoehorning it into the film in an awkward way, and the film sort of stopped being one kind of movie and then dropped into this history lesson and came out of it. But another reason, taking a step back from the whole film, was that I didn't want to make something that was... This experience is very specific to Sri Lankan Tamils, because I think I was very conscious of making a film like this in 2015 and 16 against the backdrop of the refugee crisis that was happening in North Africa and, and lots of rhetoric around Brexit um, in the UK with negative um, stuff in the press about refugees, migrants, immigrants, and them getting talked about like they were vermin, like invading our countries. And to have the responsibility that I knew I had this, this footage to work with and this story of somebody, you know, talking about that and a positive story um it was very important to me that i didn't trammel that down to make something so specific to one family or one country and that it it was something that people could access and and feel chimed with them and resonated with other stories and didn't get too specific about which country which war which journey which year um so yeah it was something that i i don't think it's possible to have ever had both to to get all the history in there and make the politics really clear because it's a complicated story that as soon as you open that can of worms there's always like a next bit that you haven't done and the next bit of information that should be in there and really that's a different documentary and there's a, a companion film to this for anyone that wants to know more about the conflict there's a, a, a sort of a film called no fire zone that is a channel 4 co-production with brit doc and is a fantastic uh, depiction of what really happened in 2009 with the end of the Sri Lankan Civil War. Um, it's directed by a guy called Callum McRae, mm -hmm. and I definitely recommend for anyone that wants to know more about We're going to show it next. Thing. I just told the projectionist. <laughs> yeah, I think that has more of a historical background as well, more information. But honestly, I, what I really like in the film, it's the way you manage to capture all the different like facets of, of, of Maya and you're a really interesting character and you have an amazing background in, in, in terms of everything you've managed to accomplish as a musician but also as an activist and it's, it's a very tricky line to just do a movie about you as an artist and you as an activist and just make it in a way that's compelling for an audience. I watch a lot of movies and it's it's hard to be moved by a movie when you think you know certain things about the character or the actors or you know the singer, and then be really moved in getting all the layers of this. So, I'm sure if if I made this footage, I would probably wouldn't like it. I would probably want something different, you know, because I'm very demanding on myself. 
but I do think it carries across a lot of really positive aspects of it. And as a film, it works really well together. And, but you've been close for many years because you were at art school together, so you probably have a different relationship and you can probably yell at each other, just like, I wanted this! Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you, <you've laughs> He just disappears for years. That's what he does. That's how he deals with me. But not, so that's not your I time. You have this like passive-aggressive thing about to just like be very confusing when I watch it. But I, I, I was really surprised that he managed to pull very, um, you know, like certain shots that I didn't even know that existed. Is um, you know, Steve's found it with a translator translating. Like, he didn't even let me translate the Tamil footage, which is, like, really insulting. But, like... Are you not good enough in tr as a translator? <laughs> you, you know, like, I think I'm excellent, but he didn't even give me the option. And I think that there are other stories in it that I would have put in there as well. But the things that he did find, which I guess is, you know... <coughs> like stuff with my grandma and everything, which wasn't supposed to be in the film. Um, so, yeah, for me, when I look at that footage and I'm like, oh, why didn't you put, like, the story of the kid that's in there? He has a really interesting story. And, uh, you know, he's raised by his grandma and his parents, you know, he, he, he doesn't have parents. And I filmed... The grandma's, you know, I've got interviews with the grandma and the, his uncle who'd just been arrested the day I went over to the house to film. And, like, he has a whole, like, political sort of situation that was happening at the time I was there. And then when I landed in Sri Lanka, like, Steve has the shot of me actually landing with my mum, but we land in the middle of, like, a protest against, like, violence against women. And that, that sort of is not in there but I thought that process was kind of, like, important. But he made it very personal, which is very uncomfortable. But, yeah. I don't think you would have liked anything else made by someone other than you, because you have really strong opinions. Yeah, and you that's shot true. everything. <laughs> no, but, I mean, like, you know, my family's up there, and it's kind of very weird. So, yeah. That's... Uh, it's fine. You can own it. Just, like, I only like what I make. Yes. So. <laughs> but we like you too, don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> um, maybe we can take a few questions from the audience. Or, yeah, sure. um, is there a microphone in the... Yes, okay. There's... Oh, God. I think someone who's standing up, I think she really deserves a microphone. I don't even need a microphone. No, no, it's... Uh, otherwise, I'm going <laughs> to have to repeat good. and I'm going to mess it up. So you get the microphone, please. Hi, MIA. Hi. Um... Love you. And yeah, um, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, um, you spoke towards the end of the film about having these goal posts, like navigating through being a refugee and a pop star and having these goals. And what are some goals that you feel that you have yet to accomplish and that you want to accomplish and that are really important to you? Oh, my God. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I think um, I'm still a bit confused with that. You know, I haven't fully really solved it. And yeah, I, I, you know, for me, when I think about the Sri Lankan issue, 
that's not fully solved and people you know it's really interesting to watch when when that war ends and people just have to get on with it and then what happens to society when they're not sort of helped but if you if you lose a war then you know what happens to that generation or you know generations to come and that i find like it's it's a, you know it's been 8 years so i'm i'm very torn between how that is developing um and how i can be useful to that really which i can't really i can't uh seem to affect because on the one hand you have to be successful in the west to become like a sim a symbol of you know something inspiring but if you do that then you kind of almost is is very difficult to be attached to them you know but but because it's a new community um the post war climate is that it's it's very um like the community leaders in in the tamil regions have been sort of taken out so it's pretty lawless and it's like structureless young people for the first time have discovered like you know alcohol drugs and heroin porn you know porn hub um they've got data for the first time uh so yeah it's just kind of you might be laughing but that, like that is actually quite a, a a serious thing you know i have like a report that says that in the north is where they use most of the data and when they check out what they use the data on it's just you know people kind of um not uh i don't know it's very hard to say like they don't have because they don't have an identity anymore and nobody's sort of defining that for them they're very confused and i think that's very like um it's going to you know set forward like a chain of events that's not very good for the community and, but it's it's something that happens all over the world you know and so i'm not allowed to go there and i have to figure out some sort of way so so maybe that is the goal is is when i can actually one day go there and i have to wait for the 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 you know the government to the one that's in power to die and that could be a long time you know uh yeah otherwise yeah. but that's a great platform for you now to just talk about it and maybe try to get things moving at the same time you know? and yeah. be inspiring for people who are interested in the situation too Yeah so I mean maybe that is what it's about to connect the Tamil diaspora there's million Tamils outside of Sri Lanka and if you can connect them in some sort of way then you know maybe we can have have some sort of impact there and help people build businesses and you know infrastructure and schools and stuff like that mm -hmm. We we have a lot of hope on you so everyone here oh <laughs> it's all on you the entire the entire it's not right okay right. okay okay good <laughs> she can do it all so <laughs> yeah it's true um uh, is there another question okay um someone there with 
here with a white t-shirt. Yeah, here. Like here with the brown long hair. Yes. Thank you. Hi. Um, my name is Gabrielle. I never thought I'd actually be this close to you. So I'm going to fan girl for like 10 seconds. Um, <laughs> questions that are disguised as speeches are um, all too common. Um, so I've been listening to your music since Galang came out. I remember watching it on YouTube, as I'm, far, like, I'm sure a lot of us in this room have. And then every single album after that, um, you really inspired me, and I'm sure a lot of other people in this room, to sort of keep going with this creative energy and, and speaking out on issues in different ways that we never thought possible or things that we always wanted to say. Um, so I ended up doing that, and I am an advocate now, um, lobbying the United Nations, bringing local civil society voices to the Security Council. But your music is what I still come back to, like, on the way to work. And, and that's my sort of self-care, right? And it's not just me. I mean, there's a lot going on. You were, you were talking about how in 2016, you know, you wanted to get this out earlier. Um, everybody needs a little bit more self-care, right? So MIA, I'm listening to your music for self-care. What are you doing for self-care? And how are you working to better integrate that into your your day-to-day? -day? It's a long question. But I, know, yes. I know, I know. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, I travel, yeah. I guess I do. I travel. And I, I read now. You, you I'm just dyslexic, learned, you learned but I recently? read. I, yeah, it's only recently I've started reading a lot more because before I was just watching films. Um, oh, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that kind of helps. And, yeah, I guess travelling and understanding the world from my kids' point of view, you know, that really helps me because he's completely different and he's everything that I sort of have never been, I guess, and, you know, he actually is a privileged kid. So that before, I, I guess, I always found, like, I know exactly what to do and what to say or how to think because it was so much about the struggle coming from the streets and, you know, it was about representing a certain demographic of people and it was more than Sri Lanka, you know. And, and now, um, having had my kid, uh, it's, yeah, I think it's sort of understanding the future or thinking about it, that kind of keeps me sort of centered because it's so crazy, you know. Actually, the crazier the world gets, the more sort of still I become. Naturally, yes. yeah, so. <laughs> and you don't even live here, which is I don't even live here. But <laughs> <laughs> it's great in New York, but you know, I mean, not It's, it's everywhere is the same though, you know. Um, <coughs> I think you're doing another talk tomorrow at MoMA in the afternoon? We are, yes, okay. and it's free. At what time? I can't remember. Okay. <coughs> Four thirty. Four thirty. Is it at MoMA? Four thirty it is. Okay. Yeah. And you're both going to be yeah. there. Yes. Yeah, that was a great promotion. So just find it on the website somewhere. But we're talking more tomorrow because we are. We have to um, end it. We have an um, Icelandic film coming in. 
But it was really, really great to have you, and I Thanks wish for you for having us. Thanks for coming. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>